Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. All right, welcome to this week's episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. How are you, Justin? Awesome. It's Wednesday, middle of the week, lots going on. But, uh, you know, of course, we had to sit down behind the mic. And uh, before we get going, if you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and do us a huge favor to take a few minutes and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Please provide any feedback, good or bad. We're always welcome and much appreciated of the uh, feedback that we get. We had a gentleman reach out and actually uh, had a request from a faithful listener to get uh, Jason Conrad, who's uh, part of our AES team. He's actually our fleet manager for an interview, uh, which, you know, we could probably certainly line up. And, you know, that team works really hard in the background, making sure all our transportation needs are met, uh, which is a huge operation. And it's kind of, you know, just like drilling, it's 24-7. So uh, I think he'd be neat to hear from. Uh, a topic I think uh, we need to we need to talk about here is uh, high performance water based muds. Uh, you, you know, I, I've heard the term. It's it, to me, uh, in my experience, it's a little bit of a loose term because I've never really had a someone properly define what it is. So I, I think you know, probably amongst many listeners out there, they're curious about it, what it does, why you need it. So let's touch on that. Why, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's an interesting topic because I see the same thing. Uh, People don't actually seem to have, you know, a, a, a comfortable definition. Um, so I guess we can take a crack at that and, and kind of explain where these things came from. Perfect. Um, and go from there. Right. Well, let's talk, like, firstly, what is a, you know, a high-performance water-based mud? And a lot, sometimes you'll even see it abbreviated HPWBM, if anyone out there has seen that. But, uh, you know, what, what you, how would you define high-performance water-based mud? So the typical nomenclature, I would say, involves three key components in the water-based mud. Um, and the idea was that, you know, years ago, um, probably 15 or 20 now, uh, just of families of chemicals that were environmentally acceptable and offered really great inhibition came out. And those three components together seem to be, I hate the word synergy, but they seem to do a little better together than they would do as individual components. Um, and so the first one would be probably the most obvious working one is, is a, a shale inhibitor, typically an amine, um, that's designed to address reactive and swelling clays. Um, the second one of those components would be an encapsulating polymer, which provides additional inhibition by kind of covering the end of a clay platelet so water can't get inside and, and swell it. Um, and the last one is probably the most interesting and uh, kind of leaves a lot of people skeptical. They're, they're called ROP enhancers. Some folks will refer to them as lubricants. Um, but there were actual studies done back in the day when these chemicals came out um, that, w that it actually enhances rate of penetration. It's not necessarily as much a lubricity component as these are typically surfactants um, that they keep the the drilling assembly water wet and help cuttings get clear very quickly um, to aid in, in drilling faster. Makes uh, sense. So for the folks out there who, who maybe aren't familiar with, uh, you know, drilling fluids in general, uh, how would you define high performance water-based mud versus 
regular water-based mud because there's you know there's very it, it varies quite significantly you can have a very basic water-based mud obviously and now we're talking about high performance but what's the, what's the different than just a regular water-based mud well i mean other than just the fact that those three components are there uh you know the intent behind a high performance water-based mud uh, originally these were marketed as hey we can drill with like oil-based mud but with water-based mud um that has yet to be proven but uh can't blame anybody for trying um so really a lot of it was very reactive formations that really really didn't perform well with your conventional water-based mud systems so adding these components uh was supposed to provide the drilling performance we're always seeking with oil-based mud uh perhaps in you know a restricted area where you can't drill with oil-based mud something along those lines um and a lot of the confusion comes from high performance. It's just such a broad adjective, right? Because um, if water performs well in an area, would we not consider that high performance? Um, <laughs> Good point. Yeah. So, uh, you know, versus a, a conventional mud, uh, you know, they can have any or, or all of those components, arguably. Um, but these tend to be higher end. It tends to be a more expensive system uh, because of that. And there's a lot of focus on maintaining the concentrations of those components mm. uh, to ensure that you maximize the performance because they uh, their cost in some cases can rival that of of uh, an oil-based mud. I got you. So let's dive a little bit more into the components. I mean, you mentioned shale inhibitors, some lubricants. Um, are there is there anything else? Uh, you know, you say the ROP enhancer, but you can use it uh, in different salt systems too, or like what other components could be possibly involved with it? Sure. So, I mean, it's common to have a starch to aid in fluid loss control. Uh, and salt is a very good point. What we find with uh, a little bit of KCL or a little bit of sodium chloride can actually enhance the overall performance quite significantly. Mm. Um, and that's always sort of a, uh, a point of contentious, contention in an environmentally sensitive area where maybe we don't want to have chlorides present. Uh, just because you can, you could really turn it up a notch by having a little bit of salt there. Um, and you can run that up to saturation. A lot of these muds, like many water-based muds, can be run 14, 15 pounds, uh, so they can get pretty heavy. Right. Um, so there's, there's a lot of flexibility with them, like there are water-based muds. Um, and, and you may add a supplemental lubricant. Like I mentioned, the ROP enhancer is, is really a surfactant targeting something slightly different than what we might use to actually reduce torque. Gotcha. Um, although if you can keep the BHA clear, you'll be very happy with your torque readings in all likelihood. No kidding. What, uh, so what, what would you consider to be some of the limitations with a high-performance water-based mud? I, I mean, I think there's two. You know, one, one is just cost. Uh, you know, they're great. Actually, I'll, I'll add a third. But cost, cost is, is definitely the big thing where we have customers say, hey, we want to we try this. We want to get away from oil-based mud because... Sometimes the cost advantage you can bake in, I can dispose of my cuttings in a different way. I don't have to take them to a special site mm -hmm. or have them handled. Um, but you have to account for the cost of the system itself, the increased dilution, the other things you have when you're dealing with water-based mud. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that would be one. I think another, the limitation, honestly, is something that the industry has done to itself. And that is promising these things act like oil-based mud when they don't. <laughs> uh, and so you have a customer that really needs oil-based mud performance and someone comes into their office and says, I got it for you. Look at this. And it's a little cheaper and we have better disposal, disposal options, blah, blah, blah. And when it fails to deliver such a high 
landing point. Mm-hmm. Um, usually people become extremely skeptical of anything you put in front of them. Okay. Um, and then the last one I, I think is there, you know, water-based mud, a, a complex water-based mud system requires a lot of skill to run. Um, and this is no exception in as much as you've got to maintain these concentrations. Some of these, inhi- well, all of these inhibitors, because they're coating clay and cuttings, they have to have continuous additions. Mm. You need to measure and track what's being consumed. Um, and so it just, it adds more testing to your mud check uh, and more things to watch. Uh, nothing that a skilled mud engineer couldn't handle, but it's just more stuff and do stuff if you've never done it before. Makes sense. So uh, when we talk about, you know, the the difference, which kind of interests me is the difference between oil-based mud and a high-performance water-based mud. Like, why couldn't a high-performance water-based mud perform like an oil-based mud? Aside from the, you know, the complex chemistry that's going on and the challenges that, you know, come with running it, you know, at the rig. Um, you know, just, is it just chemistry or is it just you get out too far and then it can't keep up or what? what's the main reason there? I mean, I, it just doesn't inhibit as well. And, and bear in mind, most of the time, a high-performance water-based mud is, it's all about inhibition, right? It's reactive clays you're trying to address. So you are seeing the worst of the worst that water-based mud is going to face, mm. um, which is why a lot of times you want to go with oil-based mud. Um, and, and so it really just comes down to the idea of, I'm, you know, I'm going to drill faster probably than using a cheaper knockoff system. But um, oil-based mud is oil continuous. The oil doesn't really interact with the formation. And so it's much, much easier to keep cuttings inhibited because they're oil wet. It's much easier to get them clear of the hole, have that lubricity, um, all those things. And so a lot of people shrug and say, okay, well, oil-based mud's easier to run. Um, I have a pretty good understanding of what I'm going to get. It's kind of hard to beat. So normally it takes a regulation or, um, you know, something to push you in the other direction where you say, okay, we don't, we'd love to use water-based mud or have that performance, but we're willing to take a step back if we can get close. Yeah. So I guess that leads me into the next question. Like what's an ideal application uh, for it? Or is it, you know, I know you said sensitive shales, but are there any ideal situations or is it strictly driven by environmental and just driven by, you know, say an operator who wants to get away from the perception of, of not using an oil-based mud? Um, I, I mean, there's a number of different reasons. Uh, so I've been, I, I've used uh, one system, it was just offshore and we were in some fairly shallow sections and it was the only thing, they actually didn't even call them them clays, they called them soil units, they were so unstable. Oh, wow. And the only thing that offered the level of inhibition was water-based mud. And if they didn't use water-based mud, they would have to deep drive their conductors. Um, there was going to be a bunch of other challenges from a fairly complex drilling environment. And so we actually drilled with oil-based mud once we got below those shallow sections where you needed to protect the water table and that sort of thing. Gotcha. Is a uh, kind of a question that it may not tie into exactly what you're talking about, but um, typical water-based muds uh, are uh, sort of have a gel-based, or the high-performance mm-hmm. water-based muds, those are more of a polymer-based, or yeah. can you, is there a gel-based high-performance? No. No, well, you'd, you'd shoot yourself in the foot, right? Because you're trying to inhibit reactive clays. Makes so if you, if you add gel, it's going to get encapsulated and inhibited, and, and you've just spent some of that chemistry. So Makes sense. Um, not to say you couldn't break over a system or you know, that sort of thing. Not to say it, it hasn't or couldn't be done. It's just 
most of the time these systems are so costly that you'll mix it up fresh um, and you'll just use all the good stuff. Gotcha. So uh, we mentioned, you know, running it on a rig, it, it takes a little bit more um, just a skill set or, or a higher degree of, of making sure everything's done properly. But what else is there from a rig standpoint that if, say, a mud engineer knows that they're going to be faced with that, what are some things that they can expect on, on how they would test it and how they would run it a little differently from just a conventional water-based mud? I, you know, I think the, the general baseline would be, we all know, if, if you've run a 13-pound dispersed mud, you know how much you have to watch it, right? Um, you don't get to play video games in the shack anymore. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I, you know, I say that jokingly, but it, it's one of those, it's going to require constant monitoring. And because of the cost, granted, if you run a, a dispersed 13-pound mud, um, granted, there's cost to that, but people are pretty comfortable diluting, moving fluid around, like it's, it's the nature of the beast. With the cost of this material, you need to be able to justify your additions and you need to justify when you dilute. Um, and so there's just, I, I feel like it's not only having everything dialed in as tight as you possibly can. Uh, it's being able to make sure you have a plan and kind of justify it because I think you're going to have more eyes on that mud bill than if it was just a, you know, a cheaper mud system or, you know, something that was more commonly seen. Makes sense. So Matt, then how would we actually justify using a high performance water-based mud? You know, it's kind of an interesting thing. There is a lot of stuff we can do in the lab. Um, and quantity may not necessarily correlate with quality. Uh, you know, a lot of the shale testing, the, uh, testing, which would probably have to do a separate episode just on that and how depressing some of those tests are. <laughs> Noted. Um, it, you know, in essence, you can get, you can secure shale samples and observe in the lab how they react. So, um, there's a, a suite of tests and normally you can't just run one. You have to kind of have a combination of them to see how well they offer inhibition relative and, and you benchmark them against oil-based mud and water and, um, ju just to get an idea of, okay, what, what do I get out of this? Um, you know, a, a lot of times we'll, we'll look at those conversations and say, okay, this is an option. Or other times they say, I need the best water-based mud possible because I have no other choice. Um, you know, and, and then, uh, there was a scenario we weren't running the, the highest of the high-performance uh, water-based muds, uh, but we actually looked at a chloride-free synthetic mud. Um, the reason being is we could drill a little faster, and the customer's priority was to get off location as quickly as possible. Hmm. And so, you know, you could run a conventional mud. It takes you 30 days to drill a well. Spend a little more money. We get you down to 10, and then run this fancy, you know, very sensitive system and, and we cut a few more days off. And even though it costs considerably more on the ticket, it was well worth it. But a lot of people find most of their environments is look, I want to, I want to be a good steward here. I've got regulations I need to comply with. Um, and so the decision is we're using water-based mud and our job is then to try and optimize the concentrations relative to cost and say, okay, this is where we think we're going to get the most bang for our buck. Mm. Um, so it's the, the, the hard part with a lot of the lab testing is sort of demonstrating that, Hey, this is, this is less worse. Um, <laughs> and, uh, kind of, kind of benchmarking that. Um, and, and so, but there are, I, I'm sure people have seen tons of technical papers. We'll do, <laughs> we'll do an episode on it. I'm sure we'll do a tech tip. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of parts of that conversation. And if you get to talk to, um, I'll call them the, the nerds in the industry. 
there's a lot of really strong opinions. Um, so, <laughs> I, I mean, go to a SPE or AD conference, you know, hang out in a bar after the last paper session and then just buy a round of drinks and see what happens. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I think the, the one big thing that I see right now on land is, is uh, most folks have come and said, hey, we really want to move to water-based mud, which is well and good. Um, but what we find is the pressure to sell this high-performance water-based mud and what we find in a lot of these unconventional shale plays is they're just not that reactive. A lot of those additives don't even need to be in the mud. Mm. Um, and so we, the one great thing about water-based mud is it's flexible to your needs and we can do some testing and, and give it our best shot. Uh, and so it may be a combination of some of those additives makes a difference. Yeah. Uh, but generally speaking, unless you have a real reactive section that you're trying to address, um, some of these kind of cheaper, lower cost versions uh, need to be compared against a nice conventional water-based mud and, and say, okay, well, what's, what's the price difference here? Am I actually getting something for this? Right. Um, Are there, is there anywhere on land right now in the lower 48 that it's an area more conducive to the success of high-performance water-based muds? Or is it kind of just people trialing and airing it sort of wherever they can? I, you know, I think the Gulf Coast is a great place just because those upper sections are so reactive. Mm. Um, I think that there's, there's a few other places where, where you could benefit. I mean, once again, where there's reactive shale, there may be an application. Gotcha. Um, it just depends on if oil-based mud's an option too, and you want to go with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those, it's another tool in the toolkit. And so I never want to tell somebody they don't need it. Um, but I also want to get a lot more comfortable to show that they do um, and, and what value it's going to bring. Because I think there's, there's the temptation to just say, hey, we've got a high-performance system, and it's, look at that flashy thing over there. It's new and improved. Mm. Um, and it, that lasts for a little while, but uh, you know, most of the time people catch on and say, okay, well, I'm paying more money, and it's got the word high-performance in front of it, but what does that even mean? <laughs> right. Um, and this is where, you know, analyzing the data, not only from one well, but from a couple of wells, can really help you gain some insight into the benefits you're getting. Awesome. Well, uh, unless you have any other thoughts on high-performance water-based mods, those, those are all the questions I have. Matt, is there anything else out there that you think the listeners are curious about or want, should know about? No, I mean, I, I look forward to if we get any questions or, or any thoughts just because, um, you know, I feel like people have different experiences with these systems. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it's that they're marketed as one and the components maybe are a little different. Right. Um, and so if, if someone's running one out there in a particular area and, and really seeing good things, um, I should be curious to hear about it. Yeah. Anyone out there that has a great success story or someone that's doing something unique uh, that maybe we hadn't touched on, hit us up at flowlinepodcast at aesfluids.com. Uh, or if you just have any general questions, uh, you know, hit us up. Or if you have any good thoughts on a show or just someone you'd like for us to even interview. We've had folks say, hey, interview this person, interview that person. So uh, we're certainly open to it all. But uh, anyways, everybody, appreciate you taking the time to listen to The Flow Line. Uh, that is all for now. Thank you. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. 
Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.